My name is Steve Gould. I'm a professional drummer and an amateur thinker. My favorite part of life is learning, which is great because there's so much to learn. That's what this show is for. Thinking out loud, discussing ideas, sharing conversation, listening, growing, and hopefully learning something. Steve Gould Show. Greetings, Steve Gould Show listeners. Thanks for listening to episode 23. Here it is. The long-awaited episode 23. My apologies for the amount of time since episode 22 was published. I actually did this interview with my guest for today's episode, Amanda Brown, before Stevie was even born. Uh, Yeah, I guess it was early December, maybe even late November, that Amanda and I sat down at the kitchen here at the Gould Boyce household, did this interview that you're about to hear. Had every intention of getting that episode out before Stevie was born. Of course, Stevie coming along is its own time commitment and hectic schedule ingredient. But then going on tour last month and the way the music career side of my life has picked up, I wanted it to be out sooner, but here it is. I'm glad you're listening. And let me say this about podcast episodes. I actually have done quite a few of them with other people as myself a guest on their show. So in the future, if there's a week where there's no new episode from the Steve Gould Show, but you want to hear some podcast discussion with me involved, on the off chance that you're trying to hunt down more of that, (laughs) I'm going to list a few of those on the Patreon. That's actually my new experiences segment for this week. I was on my friend Renald Kent's podcast. It's called Not Safe for Church. I was a guest on that show two weeks ago. That's my new experience with just being on his podcast at all. But the template for his show is it's live. There was uh, another guest, my friend Derek, who Renault and I both know from our time working on church staff together in Phoenix. Uh, Another co-host named Luna, who I met for the first time at that show taping. And the whole thing was done kind of like Howard Stern style, where it was all live. The advertisements that were present on the podcast, Renald read them live. All the discussion was live. There wasn't any editing done. That's a new experience for me in podcast world. Every time I've done an episode for my own show, I've done some editing afterwards just to keep things flowing smoothly and you know adding music here and there after the fact and creating transitions the way I want to. Other podcasts where I've been a guest, that's also how they've executed the content. And then this was my first time ever doing a podcast live. And it just reminded me what the world is like all of a sudden. The information age, the digital age, the way we all have these smartphones with us all the time or we're staring at a computer screen at at whatever job we happen to do. It's amazing how much content is being cranked out, whether it's Instagram stories or actual podcast episodes or even these little television, almost like shorts that get made for Twitter and other streaming services, YouTube, etc. We have such ready access, such an unbelievable encyclopedia of ideas and opinions and messages. There's so many of them. The new experience, I guess, for me in all of that is being on the creator end of it and then being on the guest end of it, seeing how all of that is coming together and just marveling at the state of society. 
the state of the human experience on the earth we've gotten to this point with technology and with ideas i guess the realm of ideas is what i'm getting at i think it was aristotle that talked about the realm of ideas the access that we have to that realm via each other and the way we share ideas with each other either in conversation or in these larger technological settings like a podcast episode i mean i was sitting in my basement when we recorded the Not Safe for Church episode that I was on. I was in Los Angeles. Derek was in his basement in Phoenix, where he's from. And then Renald and the other co-host, Luna, were in a studio in Vegas, where they live. And we're all recording the episode live. It's just, it's mesmerizing to me. When I sit back, when I take a moment and consider what's actually happening, it's, it's amazing. So there's me ranting a little bit about the state of technology and how it impacts the realm of ideas. <laughs> but mostly, I'm inviting you to check out my friend Renald's new podcast, Not Safe for Church. Renald is very funny, and the topics are really interesting. The most recent episode features myself. Like I said, I'll link to it on the Patreon, as well as maybe a dozen other podcast episodes that I've done over recent years with other friends, as myself a guest on their shows. And... uh I want to say this about the Patreon. I've gotten a, f a few more supporters, which I just appreciate so much. In recent weeks, my supporter count has gone up, and I've started to take some intentional steps on adding more content exclusively on the Patreon. So if you're listening to the Steve Gould Show regularly, you've checked out all the episodes, thanks so much. And maybe now you're going to go check out other episodes that I've been a part of for other people's podcasts. But beyond that, there's more content still on patreon.com slash steve gould please check it out i would really appreciate the support for now though let's dive in on my conversation with amanda brown amanda is an absolute force of a vocalist she lives here in los angeles having moved here recently from new york where she grew up she knew misty from the music scene in new york when misty lived out there and so i've recently met amanda in fact uh the four of us misty and myself and amanda and her partner jeff went on a hike maybe a year ago, you'll hear us reference that hike a couple of times in the interview. Amanda has worked with Stevie Wonder, Adele, Alicia Keys, Tori Kelly, Michael Bolton, The Killers. Her credentials and resume in the music world as a background vocalist are staggering. She's also recorded music on her own and was a contestant on The Voice. She was part of the third season of that show, made it to the top six, some of her music will be peppered through this episode, and I think you'll hear for yourself what an incredible singer she is. Also a thoughtful individual, I really enjoyed our conversation. And here it is, Amanda Brown. So have a drink and then Let's have a drink again And then you'll see What goes on inside my head Tell me a little bit about your history with music then. just like I, This is fun for me because I feel like I'm getting to know you in a way that we didn't get on the hike. Yeah. You know, like walking along <laughs> on the hike just like talking about whatever, like the yeah, weather that, and like stuff. Yeah, like half, half hour, like 45 yeah. minutes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I got these like pointed questions about like, like how long have you been doing music professionally? Did that start when you were young or did that pick up in your 20s? 
I studied music when I was young. I went to a performing arts high school in New York. Oh, um, sick. The, to La- LaGuardia High School yeah, okay. for Music and Art. Although now I think it's called LaGuardia Arts. Um, but when I was there, it was called Fiorello LaGuardia High School for Music and Art and Performing Arts. It's like wow. they probably changed it to LaGuardia Arts because it was just far too long. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. But um, so that is kind of when I would say my musical experience that helped to prepare me for the professional world began. But then I didn't really start performing professionally where I was making money as a musician and a performer until um, later in my college, my collegiate career, like maybe third year of college. Yep. Same for me. I, I did quite a bit of playing when I was younger, but I, nobody was paying me money to yeah, do that stuff. Everything until was free. It, yep. Uh, okay. I would describe myself as a musician a little differently than, than like, for example, Misty describes herself because she releases records under her own name. Um, I call myself just a freelance guy. Mm-hmm. From what I know about you, you do a little bit of both. Mm-hmm, yeah. I, um, I do write and record my own music. And I also sing as a background vocalist for various artists and, okay. and friends that need it, yep. <laughs> that need, you know, a singer. Pretty much anyone who calls me if I'm free and available and, you know, I like the music and or it's a nice check, then, yeah, yeah count me in. <laughs> okay, what, what constitutes music that you don't like? Like, what's the kind of gig that you wouldn't do? I mean, it kind of just depends like on if if I listen to something and I'm like, oh, well, this isn't really something that I could see myself singing every single night. Or maybe this isn't particularly in my range or maybe it's a metal rock gig. And I just that's not something that I can vocally see myself being able to perform well enough. So it kind of just like depends on what it is. But for the most part, like if I can sing it then you want to do do it it. yeah yeah (laughs) are there certain gigs that you do that you're more stoked about oh yeah 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 yeah. i mean i'm i'm currently um she actually just announced it but adele is doing a vegas residency Mm -hmm. so i'm really excited about that i'm excited to be in vegas performing and it's gonna be on weekends so like everyone's gonna be super excited everyone's gonna have a little glass of something yeah right so I feel like the audiences are going to be a lot of fun and I love performing her music. You know, mm-hmm. I think it's she's so talented and funny. So every single night on stage with her always feels like a new a brand new night, even though we're singing the same songs cool. and everybody in the band is great. There's definitely like a family feeling. So I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, right on. I would be, too. <laughs> in your career as you've developed in this freelance way, how have you found that interacting with your, your own music, your own, will you write and record your own songs? Mm-hmm. Do, do, do you find them competing? Is that, is that frustrating? Are you like wishing you could do your own music more? Or are you like, nah, they, they kind of feed each other. Like what? I mean, they do kind of feed. Well, one definitely feeds the other more in terms of its monetary contributions. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, um, but uh, yeah, I definitely do think that singing as a background vocalist has helped my own artistry because I've I've been able to sort of stand back and almost be like a fly on the wall. 
and watch some of these artists perform and see how they interact with the audience and the music and the band. So it's kind of been like a masterclass of sorts, sort of just watching these incredibly successful artists do what they do best. So in that way, I think it's positively influenced my own artistry. And obviously, you know, the money that I make from those is funneled directly into my own my own music. Yeah, so. yeah, sure. <laughs> I kind of expected you to answer that way just because that's my experience watching Misty navigate the both. Yeah. I'm coming at it from the angle of like, I don't have my own music. I'm just like Steve, the freelance guy. And it's, it's <laughs> interesting to see people like yourself and Misty do the both of it where, yeah, you got to balance how much time you're spending on your own music because you got to go do the freelance gigs but then there's that little bit of draw to your music that's not there to other people's music. Yeah, no, I definitely would agree. I feel like the the music that I have been creating as of late has been music that I wanted to create for myself, um, first and foremost. Some of the songs I, you know, were writing sessions that my manager organized, so there was obviously a, a very definite like purpose to those writing sessions but a a lot of the other songs that I write and some songs that I I don't know that I may not even ever release are songs that I create for myself to help me you know process some things or get through some things or understand some things do you find yourself wishing that you had more time opportunities to do your own music does your own music call to you in a way that is lo- like the call is louder than the other gigs or do you kind of like it is what it is and you yeah, just you I, answer the call when it's there I definitely wish that I had more money to pay for the time mm-hmm. that <clears throat> is sometimes required in order to create your own music for yourself Sure but then also like is that an excuse like could I not find another way to just Yeah, that's an interesting question. I feel like I would have to maybe sit with that for a little while in order to answer it because it does compete in that I'm required to be at work for these jobs that I accept. But then that helps me create this music, which I may not necessarily be able to release in the way that I want to if I didn't have those jobs. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. then... If I said, okay, well, fuck these background singing. Oh, sorry. Can I? No, it's great. Fuck these background singing gigs. I'm just going to go and stay with my family in Jamaica and like bring some recording equipment and work in a restaurant and write a bunch of music and not have any responsibilities in terms of like rent or or car or whatnot. And I know that people do that. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, like why aren't I doing that? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, go go with me down that road. Why aren't you doing that? I that is definitely something that I would like to do at some point. I would love to I've always wanted to go to Jamaica and my my dad's family is from there or my dad is from there. Yep. And I've always felt like very creative every time I go there. Just wonderful ideas come to me and questions about like my ancestry and all of that Mm -hmm. stuff every time I'm there and I just think oh god how cool it'd be to just be able to like be here for two weeks and just write a bunch of music but you know then the two weeks is up and you haven't spoken to anyone in the real world and just like we were talking about earlier like who knows how many emails I will have missed how many phone calls I will have missed or gig opportunities I may have lost out on so 
I don't know. It's it's tough, but it's it's a beautiful idea. <laughs> <laughs> it is a beautiful idea. The way you were describing it, it's like two weeks writing music in Jamaica. That sounds nice. Yeah, and I mean, people do that, but people that obviously have the financial support in right. order to make those things happen. Where if they disappear for two weeks, it's okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, capitalism. Yeah. Oh boy, <laughs> don't get me started. Uh, it stinks. Yeah, it's hard to figure out priorities when making money yeah. is kind of forced into the top of our priority list, whether you like it or not. Like, is making money what I really want to do with my life? I don't think so. And yet I can't. Maybe that's one of the things that I dislike the most about capitalism is that it has just kind of thrust the money-making endeavor into everybody's top three, whether they want to or not. Just, yeah. just culturally, we're all just kind of like, handcuffed strong-armed into doing that yeah i think about that a lot i was talking to jeff uh, my my partner jeff about this you know when they ask i don't know where i read this or heard this but when they uh, they there was some study that was done and they asked you know a number of people that were on their deathbed uh, or sick um, a bit older they asked them you know if, if there was one thing that you regret in your life um, or that you could change, or that you do over, what would it be? And so many of them said, I would work less. Yeah. I would spend more time with my family and friends. I would travel more. Yeah. It's like, man, like I don't, I definitely don't want to have that as a regret. I want to be able to, and it's tough because I do feel very, very fortunate in that I'm able to work as a musician, which often doesn't feel like a job i was just gonna say that <laughs> like the, especially when you mentioned the travel part i yeah. was like yo that sounds familiar uh, yeah. actually what we do for work involves a lot of travel yeah and for sure. it involves a lot of what feels like the most fulfilling life-giving thing that i could do with my time yeah. for me personally like yeah. being on stage playing not just the act of playing music and how that makes me feel but even the act of being the vehicle for the people in the audience to experience music and how that makes them feel. Yeah. Like I get to be the catalyst of that sensation for them, which is such a positive, just universally positive experience. Everybody loves music. Yeah. I get to be the guy that helps them love it more or whatever, you know? Exactly. So, okay. In that sense, are you thinking that you're going to get to the end of your life and wish you had worked less? I don't think that I'm going to feel that way. Um, at least not at this point, <laughs> who knows what's going to happen. But at this point, I don't, I definitely don't feel that way, but I do want to explore other avenues of existence, not just the, a musical one. Like mm. I want to be able to continue creating music, but then also like I've been, you know, kind of throwing around the idea of maybe going back to school and cause I didn't get my degree and just like finishing and getting my degree in what in psychology yeah okay. i'm thinking about it i don't know don't don't you know come back to me in a year folks and say so how's that degree going well but it's something that i'm tossing around as an idea just just because i feel like that would be fun and interesting at this point in my life when i was in college at the time 
I wanted to, you know, travel the world and sing. Yeah. That's what I wanted to do then. Mm-hmm. And now I've had the opportunity to do that for so many years and it's been wonderful. But I'm also like, oh, but what if I am this person that does this thing that's a musician and an artist and a performer and a singer and also this other thing? Yeah. Do I have to just be one thing and can I not try other things too? The excitement you saw in my face about... It isn't you just finishing your degree. It's the, just the topic of psychology yeah. itself. I'm excited you... about these days in ways that I don't remember noticing or caring about, or at least I couldn't name it as such when I was in my 20s. I didn't know that I was such a fan of psychology. Right. And now that I'm in my 40s, I'm kind of like, ooh, psychology is really cool. Same. Uh, <laughs> all right, all right. <laughs> um, give, me, give me just a, a brief tour of that part of you like like what caused you to choose that as your major to begin with in school and what have you done with it well since? so it wasn't my major when I was in school my major was um business and international marketing got it okay okay <laughs> so so the psychology degree is a fresh interest yes I mean I have been seeing therapists since I was a young kid my mom is a social worker uh, there were various things that I experienced throughout the course of my life that were you know required me to have a therapist not required me but my thought my mom thought it would be a good idea for me to have a therapist when I was fairly young and I just it's helped me so much I feel like it's such a wonderful tool to help you understand yourself better Mm -hmm. and the patterns of behavior that may you may repeat or not repeat and just just understand human behavior in general. I feel like it's just made me more understanding and forgiving of myself. And that trickles into into other people. Now I'm definitely not perfect, but I feel like it's just it's been a, a really positive influence in my life. And yeah. I've always been drawn to like watching things that have to do with how the mind works and reading books that have to do with, you know, how and why we potentially think the way that we do. Mm -hmm. And so I'm just like, yeah, we really cool to study that further. So, yeah, I'm I'm tossing around that idea at the moment. Have have you seen a documentary, short documentary series on Netflix called The Mind Explained? I haven't, but I've heard of it. Uh, Emma Stone narrates yeah, it, and yeah, yeah, I yeah. I watched a few of those episodes some years ago. Was it uh, good? Oh yeah, it's fascinating. Oh, okay. I'm, I'm I'm more kind of like I'm saying that because it's 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 been my route into psychology. Just I've done a lot of reading about philosophical stuff, mm-hmm. just kind of like armchair theologian, armchair philosopher, uh, and then you know watched a few YouTube videos here and there, and then this Netflix series, and I'm just like wow. The way the human mind works is pretty intimidating. Yeah. To realize, like, I think I've you got... You think intimidating? Well, let me put it this way. I think I understand myself mm-hmm. until I realize I don't. Right. And the degree to which I don't understand myself, I'm learning as I grow older. It's like, it's, there's a lot. There's yeah. a lot in there that I don't understand. Uh, the intimidating part that I'm even mentioning, maybe that's the wrong word, uh, this particular Mind Explained episode that's about memory mm-hmm. and how unreliable your memory is. Mm-hmm. Even though as you and I sit across from the table here with each other, we we both like have memory of the day that we went on the hike mm-hmm. with Misty and Jeff. And like, yeah. and yet most of my memory is probably inaccurate. Yeah. yeah. What, I, we, if someone asked us like all of the things that we talked about on that walk, I 
could probably not list off everything. And and the stuff that I would list, yeah. at least according to this this little 20-minute episode, like actually you're, you're, you're making up a lot of that. Really? Since then, those holes my subconscious has filled with information that wasn't actually gathered that day on our walk. Right. And And there's these aspects of the mind that are kind of like running on its own speed in its mm-hmm. own direction yeah and i think i'm controlling it and i'm not mm-hmm. and like that shows up in memory recall i'm gonna watch accuracy. this tonight dude i'm telling you it, <laughs> it it got me thinking it got me really thinking and uh okay so forgive me if this is a, a person that you're not a fan of the psychologist and speaker jordan peterson is kind of a like polarizing mm-hmm. figure and it's a lot of his stuff that I steer clear from. I was watching a debate that he was having with um, Harris. Uh, oh, now I can't think of his name. That's embarrassing. Sorry, whoever you, you whoever you are, that I can't remember your name. He's a he's a big deal, and I should. Oh, okay. I, he's a he's a prominent atheist, and oh, the, okay. the two of them were talking about God and yeah. Harris is like trying to pin down Peterson on what he believes. Mm-hmm. He's just like just just tell me what you believe and. Peterson's like, I don't know what I believe. Yeah. Like, don't don't force me into a corner and make me tell, like, like I'm hiding it from you. Right. It's hidden to me. Yeah. Like, what it is that I believe, what I think, why I think it, it's mm-hmm. not even clear to me. Yeah. So, and I, that really resonated with me, again, in this whole, like, intimidation thing. It's like, there's something going on under the surface of my mind mm-hmm. that I'm not in control of. Yeah. And it's a lot bigger than I realized it was or that I ever would have considered that it was. Yeah. It's so interesting because one of the things that stuck out to me when I was listening to you and Misty um, talk in one of your other podcast episodes, and I'm going to probably misquote this, but you said something like we tell stories, we we make up or tell stories or create stories in order to create our own understanding of what we think reality is, but we don't really know what Mm -hmm. reality is. And that is a I'm paraphrasing heavily. Yes. yes. <laughs> I don't know if you remember that. Yeah, but totally. That really stood out to me because I was just like, oh my God, yeah, we don't know. We don't know shit. <laughs> right. Like, we don't know. We we create all of these, you know, stories and ways to connect with each other and understand our existence, but we have only really scratched the surface. And and you know what the thing that is a huge reminder of that to me is like I I love space. Like I love staring into the stars and watching all of like, you know, the shuttles, the mm-hmm. videos of all of the mm-hmm. rockets taking off. And, and astronauts, I feel like astronauts are like our supermen. Yeah. But when I think about the universe and the universes that potentially exist, we don't know we don't even know like we don't know anything it's very humbling (laughs) it is very humbling it's very humbling but that is what has allowed me to kind of constantly search for understanding within myself because it's like well we never we don't ever really have it all together we don't ever really know everything there is to know about the world, let alone our own selves and minds and how they work. Mm -hmm. And so why not continue to learn to try and get as close to that as we can? Yeah. So psychology. Yeah. The mind explains. Okay. I'm going to watch it (laughs) tonight. You said Netflix? Yes. I I believe so. Yeah. Okay. okay, Um, Okay. 
let me just clarify this. So you're you're interested in the field of psychology, mm-hmm. but that interest stems largely from your own experience with therapy. Yes. And is therapy something that you're still involved in regularly? It is. It is yeah. How would you describe? Let me let me let me say this the right way. What's a a good like recent download? I know it's kind of an LA word, like a download <laughs> that you've gotten in therapy. Not to be like picking apart the personal life of Amanda Brown but like therapy has taught me a lot and I wonder if you're willing to share something that you've learned that's like kind of recent about not so much this is why I'm interested in psychology but just like wow I'm Amanda and I'm better off because of this thing that I recently discovered well I um at one point I did think that I had it all together and then I was like oh I'm I'm cured. Like I don't, I don't need therapy anymore. Like I completely understand myself. I know myself. And then it was so interesting at the start of COVID, and when we first kind of heard about the possibility of us shutting down, I, I was like, oh, I'm gonna be fine. Like I, I'll just do this, and I'm gonna be doing yoga every day, and I'm gonna write, and this is actually gonna be really great. And then. I want to say maybe like a year in, I just had a, a breakdown. <laughs> I was just like, what am I doing with my life? I am, I just, I felt very, very lost. And that feeling of feeling lost made me, made me go or say to myself rather, yeah, maybe I don't really have it all figured out. And just because I've done however many odd years of therapy um doesn't mean that there isn't more to you know uncover and um, there's like it, this is a, like an ongoing excavation project yeah, yeah um and so i contacted my my therapist and and actually i switched therapist because i was living in new york and i got someone out here and and the thing is that had i not had all of those years of therapy, I don't think I would have been able to have that conversation with myself in order to say, okay, well, yeah, no, you don't have it all together. Maybe let's revisit a couple of therapy sessions and talk through it and Mm -hmm. see why you feel the way that you feel. And that's just my personal experience. I feel like everybody's experience with therapy is different. It depends on the type of therapy that, that you do. I think therapy has definitely helped me to be able to have those open and honest conversations with myself. Therapy and then also yoga and then also um, meditation. I think a combination of all of those things has, yeah. has helped me. But um, but yeah, I just uh, I'm it's it's working for me thus far. I I feel like it's helping. <laughs> Yeah, well, I, I can attest to that in my own life okay. as well. I, I would say the same thing about therapy being helpful, but it's it's interesting to hear you say that like with all the therapy that you've done, mm-hmm. sounds like from when you were a child, Yeah, it's only, I guess, somewhat recently that you're like, wow, I'm not cured. Yeah, and well, there's more to uncover. It's so funny because there, when I thought I was okay with a particular thing that I experienced I was like I've moved on from that thing I am good and then at the start of you know the pandemic I all of this all of these emotions started to come up and I was like what the hell 
Like, where did this come from? Why am I dealing with this right now? Yeah, it's just so interesting to think that when you feel like you've worked through a subject matter or an experience as much as you possibly can, there can be an instance of silence that, you know, lets you know that now nah, you're still you're still working through that thing. And you yeah. might and I might always be working through it. It might always be this experience that I've had that in the back of my mind or body somewhere, I'm just like, OK, well, I this one thing happened today and that's brought it back up and mm-hmm. that's OK. Yeah. But I think for me, having an ongoing relationship with a therapist and somebody that I can speak to who is, you know, a licensed professional who understands how the brain works far better than I do, you know, to help sort of like guide me through these like monologues where I can then like see for myself what the patterns are, you know? Yeah. So you mentioned earlier your desire to attend one of those Vipassana retreats. Oh yeah. And what you're describing sounds a lot like what Misty has said is beneficial in it, partially from even just the, like you mentioned the trauma and the way that might be in your body somewhere yeah from what she's told me what i understand about it that's the whole intention of just quieting the mind and then scanning the body and as you scan these memories or traumas or experiences that you really do need to excavate i like that you used that word earlier yeah they they, they (laughs) appear not because you encountered something during the day but because you kind of did a inch by inch scan Mm -hmm. and then they're there yeah. because you're looking there for the first time that you know when does anybody ever actually think about the sensation that they have in, in their rib cage unless there's a pain you know like yeah. when, you, when you go and you look and all of a sudden a memory pops up exactly and it's and and missy's not the not the only friend that i have that's done this vipassana um you know retreat the way that i originally heard about it was a friend of mine who is a very very talented painter He's done it, I think, twice, twice or three times. And, you know, he, I stayed with him and his partner um, in Queens once. And, you know, they were just sort of both they both did it. And they were telling me about their experiences. And they both had different experiences. But he was saying how, you know, I guess at one point in his life, he was doing something drastically different, was not a painter, but always kind of like somewhere in the back of his mind had this thing for painting but never really said I want to be a painter or I want to study painting or this is what I want to do but it was kind of like oh now that he that he's had this experience and obviously is, has now been painting for you know 10 plus years um understands what that thing was that he felt or that kind of like he, he knew was somewhere back there mm-hmm. but he said he didn't really I guess discover it or 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 know it or experience i don't know if that's the right word but he didn't really understand what that thing was until he had this experience of sort of just i think you described it when you guys were speaking during the podcast as like uh or maybe she described it that way as kind of like a uh one of those chambers where you like lay in water and there and there's no you can't hear anything yeah sensory deprivation sensory deprivation tank yeah and um, yeah, until you have that experience where you're sort of de- deprived of all of these distractions of, you know, everyday life, like TV and traffic and yeah. people talking yep. um, where you can then sort of like just really listen to 
what it is that is going on within yourself in order mm-hmm. to understand yourself. And I, that is like one of my goals, I think, in life. It's like I really want to, I want to understand myself as much as I possibly can and really work hard to be the, I don't want to say best, but the truest version of Ooh, myself, you know? That's a great, that's a great choice of words there. Uh, how long has that been a goal of yours? Is that adulthood or is, was that when you were younger? It's it definitely more so in adulthood. I think that therapy, um, life experiences, have yeah. helped, you know, guide me to this point. But yeah, I've always been interested in in understanding why I do the things that I do and why I think the way that I think. You know, I think that when I was younger, you know, junior high school, high school, I was very insecure and just didn't think very highly of myself. And over time, I started asking myself these questions like, oh, well, why do you think that about yourself? And why do you feel this way about yourself? And then starting to dig deeper into answering those questions and what could have potentially led to, you know, that way of thinking just, you know, as an example. And so Mm -hmm. I think I definitely have found my way to this place as a result of like all of my life experiences, but. That's an inspiring life goal or, you know, if if, I assume it's there on a list of life goals as opposed to a solitary, this is the singular only thing that I'm ever going to strive for. But among things that one would strive for just really understanding yourself and the way you said it to be the truest version of yourself Mm -hmm. that's that's really cool yeah i i i mean it's so interesting because i feel like like well don't we all just want to know i feel like when we know ourselves better we we kind of understand other people better if that makes any sense i makes perfect sense i completely agree but I, I guess I would say, like, just to respond to what you said just prior to that, like, don't we all want it? It seems to me that a lot of people don't want that. Yeah. Uh, don't want to know themselves, perhaps out of fear of what they'll discover, mm-hmm. or perhaps out of external training that that kind of thing is not right. yeah, yeah, not yeah. good for you. Like, I can attest from my own upbringing as an evangelical Christian, like, really knowing myself was not an encouragement. Yeah. It's like you need to know Jesus. You need to know the Bible. You need to know what they would call the truth with the capital T. But knowing myself was actually like, no, just like deny yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe that also has something to do with it because I grew up Pentecostal. You know, my dad, my dad is a minister and my grandfather is a minister. My grandmother on my mother's side is a minister. And my mom, you know, was in the music ministry and... I was in the music ministry myself for a while until I I feel like I'm in a cult. <laughs> I just started questioning things and and um you know wanting to understand things for myself. And I think for me, you know, because partially because my dad is so adamant about me not doing certain things that kind of just made me that much more curious about, well, why can't I do this thing? Why mm-hmm. can't I read this book? Why can't I yeah. listen to this song? Why can't I wear this nail polish? <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. So and uh, so I'm sure that there was part of that, you know, that experience that helped to starting to ask the questions that I started asking that led me to where I am. But yeah, I guess some people don't. I mean, and it is scary. It's definitely, you know, 
is it scary? It's, um, it can sometimes be daunting to like always be thinking. Yeah. Well, you're saying in terms of self-discovery. And yeah. It, like that's a, maybe in danger of overthinking. Sometimes. Okay. Sometimes. And I can definitely be guilty of that. You know, I do enjoy, like I enjoy having these kinds of conversations. I enjoy like pondering various subjects and like listening to what we could do this for days on end just talk about stuff yeah uh i do think that sometimes like i probably need to just not overthink some things and give myself a little bit of a break with it with the overthinking i am it sounds like you and i are very similar in that way Uh, misty's a good presence in my life because she's always encouraging me to to stop thinking and just feel She's like, I don't think we need to use words for this. Just mm-hmm. try to feel, you know, which is a, a a tool that she's given me in terms of avoiding the overthinking. Like, mm-hmm. oh, right. Stop stop with the words, Steve, and just feel for a second. The thinking too much thing, though, I was going to ask this earlier, and I, I'll bring it up now. Something that I wonder about with therapy in particular is as we use words with our therapists, or at least in, in the typical therapy setting, mm-hmm. we're talking, we're talking about our feelings sure we're talking about things that have happened and ideas and there's a lot of well the aid from the therapist to my situation is often in the form of suggesting alternative ways to look at it Mm -hmm. or suggesting alternative explanations for why something is the way it is Mm -hmm. helping me unravel the explanations that i've attached to those suggestions though i often wonder about the power of suggestion right as a like, do I think this about myself now because the therapist suggested it? Right. Or is it is it really there? Mm-hmm. The difference between an idea that someone planted in me versus an idea that I, again, to use your word, excavated. This is something that I wonder about quite a bit. Do you ever think about that in terms of the overthinking? I thing? do. I do think about that. I think that um, it's always a question, I think, in the back of my mind when I am speaking to my therapist. Is that how I always ask myself, well, is that how I really feel about this? And I think that I've gotten to a good place where whenever they do suggest something, like I really do try and take a second to think about it, mm-hmm. which is probably why my therapy bill is so high. <laughs> <laughs> Because you're taking all these seconds, you're on the clock. You know, but I do, I do think it's important for me to ask myself if this is coming from me or if this is coming from them. I mean, I guess there is no real way to know for sure if it's 100% me, but if it's something that resonates with me, then I don't really care. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, let me, let me ask this then because I, I find myself using that word resonates a lot. Mm-hmm. What do you think that means? Or can you describe using other words what the experience of having something resonate with you is like? Like if the therapist suggests something, you're like, ooh, that resonates. I mean, if we think about like our bodies as, as an instrument, you know, and like let's say we're a bell and then the therapist is the piece of wood that hits it then they say something and we go, you know what I mean? And Mm -hmm. you kind of feel it throughout your body and your mind. You go, yeah, like that's right. You know, that's an A. (laughs) Yes. Okay. So, so you're talking about like literal resonance. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I think when, when somebody says something, you know, like if you're sitting down with somebody and they say, I love you 
and you can almost like when you feel the same way sort of feel it throughout your body and feel it throughout your mind and then you say it back and it's like ah yeah like we feel similarly whether or not that's the right word for it or not like that's how i see it yeah okay i love that you also said something earlier that made me think of this uh like you said oh yeah that's true about like something that's suggested thinking back to just 30 seconds ago you said something about like in describing the resonance when someone says something and you're like yeah yeah that's that's true almost like they're telling you something that you already knew but, oh. but you didn't know that you would you didn't know how to say it that way and then they say it and you're like oh, yes yes oh. i i kind of already knew that now that you say it that way and that <laughs> is that an uh an aspect of the resonance yeah yeah i think so i think so i think um i mean and i'm kind of just literally making all of this up as i'm thinking about oh, it right now so <laughs> that's that's my thing but yeah i mean i maybe the and maybe that's even where i don't know where that word came from in relation to people describing that feeling as resonance mm-hmm. but to me that's what i think about and that's what i think i feel when somebody says something and it's almost like my whole body agrees with it, you know? Yeah. So you're agreeing because of even physical, like you're saying, it physically sits in you in a way that feels peaceful, but also yes. agreeing as like a concept. Like, yeah. yeah, I know that that's true. Yeah. Cause I think if my therapist said something to me, you know, or suggested something, you know, an, an alternate way of looking at something. And in my mind, I ra- I could potentially <clears throat> rationalize what it is that they're saying, but it doesn't feel right. Mm-hmm. Then I would say, well, mm, I understand what you're saying, but I don't know that is exactly what I'm feeling. Yes. If that makes sense. Oh, it certainly does. Okay. I, I did some um, other episodes on the show here about what's called deconstruction in terms of a religious, my, mm-hmm. my journey as a Christian and starting to like unravel or just dismantle the things that I thought I believed. Mm -hmm. And that was one of the core aspects of the beginning of that process. Mm -hmm. The the process of my deconstruction, a friend recently said, uh, shared this idea that maybe the word audit is better than deconstruction. Like I'm, I'm auditing my beliefs. Mm -hmm. And I like that. One of the reasons I'm auditing them is that I've had that sensation that you described, like somebody telling me this is how God is, or this is what the world is like, or this is how reality functions. And I'm like, I don't know. That doesn't feel right. Yeah. Same. What you just said doesn't feel right. And even though you're saying, even though you're claiming to speak for God, even though you're trying to tell me that what you're teaching me is God's viewpoint or God's truth. It doesn't feel right. What do I do with that? Yeah, I think I had a a similar experience, you know, for me. From um, your Pentecostal upbringing, you mean? Yeah, and and also just living with my father. (laughs) 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 I think that um, in high school, I went to, you know, an arts high school, and that was my first time really getting to see people from different walks of life, you know, that have drastically different experiences and backgrounds from me, you know, for the most part, when I was growing up, my circle was like very contained and very within, you know, like 15 block radius in the Bronx. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like I literally lived like 
three to four blocks away from the church. Yes. <laughs> and would go to school. I could walk to my school, basically, and then could walk to church and then walk home. And that was like my trinity of sorts. Yeah. <laughs> like that. Those are the three places that I went to daily, weekly, you know. So when I started going to, going to school in Manhattan, I didn't have any friends that or at least I didn't know at the time, I didn't have any friends that were homosexual, for mm-hmm. example. Mm-hmm. And then when I went to school and, you know, started making all these friends and I'm like, why, why the hell can't you love, why can't a guy love another guy? Like my friend Jose is so freaking cool. Like what the hell is the problem with it? And that's when I started to started to question a lot of things because mm-hmm. I was exposed to, you know, different people from different cultures and different backgrounds. And then I think that kind of just sort of led me to asking more and more questions. I'm just like, well, what else don't I know? Or like, what else haven't I seen or what else haven't I read about? And um, I was really angry for a very, very long time because I just felt like I missed out on so much stuff. You know, one yeah. of my ex-boyfriends I remember we would listen to, you know, listen to music together. And he's like, yeah, you know, let's put on this Radiohead album. I'm like, what album? He's like, you've never heard OK Computer. <laughs> and I'm just like, no. And it was so funny because he, he loved experiencing watching me listen to these things for the first time. And I, yeah, I was just so mad because I was just like seeing the reactions of all of the people that would then say, you haven't heard this thing or you haven't seen this thing just made me feel like I had missed out on so much of my adolescence that so many other kids were listening to that stuff at the time. Right. It's almost like there was a, I was living within a world within a world and had no idea what was going on on the outside. And it's Mm -hmm. like fucked up. Yeah. Yep. (laughs) Oh, I had a very similar experience. I don't know if you and I talked about this on the hike. My dad was a pastor. Mm. My grandpa was a pastor. All my dad's siblings are pastors. Oh, wow. Like, it's all... The the story's already written for what I'm going to do with my life, at least in terms of that. Yeah. So, you know, growing up in the church and then even starting to work for a mega church back in Phoenix for a few years as the lead MD, I went through all of this uh, kind of like, wait a minute, am I in a bubble right now? Yeah. Like, is this... uh, Am I in the real world or am I in like a small fortress mm-hmm. that's in the the rest of the real world mm-hmm. and kind of like stepping out from that fortress a little bit and asking questions that I wouldn't have otherwise thought to ask. Uh, okay, so that leads me to this. I, I ask all the guests two questions. One, uh, what is music? And we, we talked about music a little bit already, so I'll skip ahead to the second question. Mm-hmm. What is God to, to, to you? And And this isn't a question about right or wrong or... Yeah. It's just like, who is God? What is God? How does God function for Amanda? I think for me, I tend to not title maybe what I might perceive as God as God, just because I have, I still kind of have a bit of a negative connection with even just calling God, God, if okay. that makes any sense. Sure. And so some people might call it or he or she or they god some people might refer to it as the universe some Mm -hmm. people might refer to it as like mother earth or i think for me god is definitely an energy that is greater than myself but that connects us yeah and i think that there is absolutely an energy like that that exists that's powerful and great 
and beautiful. I don't know that it's omnipresent and all knowing. Right. But I do believe that there is an energy that exists that connects all of us, that connects us to the earth, that connects us to life and death and this cycle. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that, you know, I see it at the start of the pandemic. I started, um, you know, learning about plants and how to take care of plants because all of the women in my family have like these crazy green thumbs and I've had a black thumb for the majority of my life. And (laughs) so I started taking care of plants and really learning about how they work. And, you know, I now have like all of these, you know, gorgeous plants and we're growing like vegetables and herbs and stuff. And it's so interesting to watch how similar they are to us and that, you know, yeah. they need water and light and food and a little bit of care and sometimes a little chat. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and I just feel like we we're all connected, not just the, the, the humans on this planet, but absolutely the animals and the plants and the soil. And we all are connected by this force. And so I guess that's what I would call God yeah. at the moment. <laughs> the okay god for amanda is the connecting force mm-hmm. of would you say all of life or all of matter i think all of matter okay yeah because it's not just life i think i mean i think that there is life and death too mm-hmm. um wait, wait wait life in death in that like when we you know, when if an animal dies the, and, and it's placed on the ground or in the ground, you know, it then decomposes. And then the energy that comes from that right. body from then the... feeds the planet and mushrooms grow and then animals feed on those mushrooms. And it's it's a cycle. Yes. So that's what I mean by okay. life comes from death. Yeah. Um, which is why I'm not going to put myself in a box because I just feel like... Ugh. Why would I be that? Why would I do that? I want my body body to like feed the earth. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, that's what I, that's what I mean by that. Wow. All right. Um, I love that. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you for sharing that. That's a, it's a ongoing journey for me Mm -hmm. to try and understand God. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't know what I think exactly about God. Mm -hmm. I know what I have thought in the past. And I also know that there are a lot of other people who care about this question. Mm-hmm. So as I form what it is that I think about who God is, what God is, why God is, I've decided that I'm going to ask other people as oh, often as possible. Cool. So I'm using the podcast kind of like an w- excuse to... <laughs> Like, because that's kind of a weird question for me to ask you on the hike. I'm like, yeah, hey, Amanda, yeah, yeah. who is God? And, you're like, what and the, the thing <laughs> is, is that that's, that's constantly evolving for me because I, you know, for the majority of my life um, was in church and mm-hmm. believed you know, the, in the Bible and, and lived my life that way. And I was almost fearful of challenging that oh, idea. Yeah. Yeah. For me, it wasn't almost fearful. I was legit fearful. Yeah, yeah, like, I was. I up. was fearful. I yep. was fearful, for sure. It's just probably, it's difficult for me to, like, admit that right now. <laughs> uh, I hear you. I hear you. But I definitely was fearful. I think that I'm still kind of trying to figure out exactly what God means to me. 
Um, but that is like the best explanation that I could give at the moment. <laughs> I love it. Thank you. Thank you for letting me and the listeners in, in on that. Of course. Uh, Thank you. Okay. I know you got to go let your dog out. <laughs> Nixie. Uh, yeah. Nixie. Yeah. We were describing earlier the similarities between having a young puppy and having a young human, which we are about to be on that same boat. So yes, exciting. It's exciting. It's uh, a, <laughs> lots of coffee. It's a lot of work. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> in, inconvenient at some point. Um, before you're done, before we're done, I want to ask you just because you mentioned the green thumb thing and that you've been learning, Mm -hmm. we have gotten more plants in here recently, just, just to like try to do the same thing that you're doing. Yeah. And we both noticed that this basil behind you is not happy. Oh. Do you see that guy? He looks so bummed. Yeah. Uh, Are you watering it every day? No, we're not. We were, because it's still damp in there. Oh, is it? We got mm. it a few days ago. Oh, okay. Maybe uh, your water could be watering it too much. That's what Misty wondered. Yeah. Um, or maybe, like, do you know anything about basil and what I it do. needs? Yes. Uh, we have some basil. Um, and when we're done, I could stick my finger in there and I, okay. could, I could maybe tell you. Okay. <laughs> okay. I think I need that. Yeah. I, I think yeah, I need yeah. that, that, uh, that research, that, that pro tip You know, analysis. just a little finger in the... A diagnosis. That's what it there. is. Uh, Amanda Brown diagnosing the basil. Okay, but it's not—it's nice and green. Um, well, that's because it's new. I mean, we just oh, got it okay. three days ago, you know. So oh, okay. And also, it kind of depends on how much sun you get in this one, because sometimes plants could get burned. Too. Yeah. So, but also like this, this weather is kind of great for plants. Like that's this, why if Southern you, California if you want to grow so something, yeah. you want to grow it here. Yeah. So yeah. it could just be that maybe it's getting a little too much water. But, okay. But yeah, okay. we can have a look. I can't wait. <laughs> Thank you for doing this. <laughs> Thank you for having me. This was so much fun. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, I love it. I love, I love chatting. I'll come over and chat anytime. Heaven said, holy love are a waste of time. Holding back, falling in, selling truth for lies. Can't keep doing this anymore. Oh, no, no. Promises make no sense when you're out of time. The song you're listening to right now is an original Amanda Brown single from 2020. It's called From Here. Earlier in the episode, I was playing the opening track off of her 2018 full-length album, Dirty Water. The song is called No Good. And I'm going to close the episode with her most recent single, a Bob Marley cover called Redemption Song. It's performed live. You can really hear Amanda's vocal prowess. Before I play that track, though, I want to mention this. Uh, You heard Amanda and I discussing therapy and psychology and those kinds of conversations are happening regularly these days for me with a lot of different folks and psychology has certainly become a profound interest of mine I've got a lot more to say about that and I said it in a video on my patreon page I'm posting a lot of exclusive content over there these days and I mentioned that earlier in the episode I'm saying it again now specifically regarding the topic of psychology and just some of the off the cuff thoughts I have on that topic right now as I'm having conversations like the one you just heard with Amanda frequently with a lot of different people. We've all gone through a pretty significant emotional experience in recent years with the pandemic and now politically 
not just in the United States, but in the world, there's an undercurrent of action psychologically, emotionally for all of us. I think for that reason, this performance from Amanda of Bob Marley and the Whalers' Redemption Song, it's potent. I hope you enjoy it. Go buy Amanda's music. I mean, I'm you know I'm playing it here on the episode just to point you in the direction of her stuff. You can stream it on streaming platforms. You can buy it on Bandcamp or wherever else. This is her most recent single, a live performance of Redemption Song. Emancipate yourselves from mental slavery. None but ourselves can free our minds. Have no fear for atomic energy. None of them can stop the time. How long shall they kill our prophets while we stand aside and It's just a part of it. 
Steve Gould Show.